Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. It's a mad, mad world with a summer of themes inspired by Alice in Wonderland, beginning with Down the Rabbit Hole, recorded live at the Visual Arts Collective in Garden City, Idaho, with featured storytellers Victor Myers and Megan O'Rourke, hosted by Emma Arnold. Follow the White Rabbit. It's story time. Please welcome Victor Myers. Okay, this story has nothing to do with the surf shop, although that's a rabbit hole of its own, isn't it? Um, I don't even have to tell a story about that. We just know it is. So this whole thing for me started in right after Hurricane Katrina. So that was... 2005 and you know we all kind of know what happened but basically a lot of things happened one of the things that happened were were a bunch of refineries were shut down and some of them were not even affected by the storm and then all of a sudden like overnight fuel prices were double and that was like the new normal Um, for me that kind of just hit this chord and I was like you know what I'm not gonna participate in this fossil fuel system anymore which you know, it's kind of like, wow, sweet. I wasn't expecting an applause at any moment, especially that one. Um, so I, you know, I start kind of brainstorming and I, I guess in a way the, this whole kind of trajectory started well before that. Like I grew up in, in Missouri in the Ozarks on, for lack of a better word, a commune. Um, and so like think, you know, no religious undertone, no cult leader, but and no leader at all, but pretty pretty crunchy. So, you know, alternative thinking wasn't way off the radar. Um, and so I just I started kind of experimenting. Like we all have to drive whatever. I built a truck that ran on propane. I was like marginally equipped to build these things. I just but I was really stoked on it. And so, um, at the time, I was living half the year in Alaska and half the year in Belize working as a guide. And I, I basically had a lot of time to think, you know, I'm guiding, I'm spending my life like kind of away from where my home base is, which was still Missouri at the time. And I flew back from Belize on June 1st, June 2nd, I went to a junkyard and I found a 1985 Volkswagen Golf, like shitbox diesel car. And I limped it home, and then I just decided, okay, I'm going to do this. And I started cobbling together this veggie oil system um, that I really, like, didn't know that much about. Like, full, full commitment, very little knowledge on the subject. (laughs) And this was before, like, there were forums about it. And I had a smartphone or anything like that. So I, I wasn't, like, doing a lot of research. I was just kind of, like doing what I thought would work. And the idea is you, you start your vehicle on diesel and then you switch over to waste vegetable oil at some point. And then to turn the car off, you switch back to diesel. So, you know, and, and the diesel was designed to run on peanut oil. So it, it didn't seem like that far of a stretch to go back, right? Um, so eight days later, I load this little shitbox car with $15,000 more or less of sports equipment 
17 foot carbon fiber sea kayak, two whitewater boats, a surfboard, a rocket box, basically my whole life as a guide on the roof and inside the car. And in the back, I had this little fuel tank that was like a, like a boat fuel tank and like some jerry cans and a little pump. And I left. I hadn't even tested this. I didn't really know how it worked. Thinking back on it, I don't know that I would drive that car across town now on diesel, but I was all in. Like I, at that moment, I was fully in the rabbit hole and there was no way out because I was so stubborn I was gonna make it work. So, and I had my wife at the time with me. So here we go, we're going, we're going to Alaska. It's only 7,000 miles away. Um, I, I've made the drive numerous times. I know the, the way, it's cool. I don't have a smartphone. I know how to get there without a map. Um, so we start driving. The first stop, we have to get some vegetable oil. So we go to a Japanese restaurant, we eat lunch, and then we have to, I have to kind of convince whoever's working there like, hey, I need this trash from you. So with, without them telling me yes or no, they kind of like humored me to, to throw my little cobbled together contraption. So I've got this hose that I throw in basically a dumpster and I flip a switch on this pump and I'm, the idea is I'm gonna fill these, these gas cans, like five gallon gas cans with vegetable oil and then I'm gonna pour it through a funnel and like a filter sock right into the tank of the car. Sounds super, smart um but so as soon as i turn the pump on it starts working and i'm like this is sweet i'm so proud of myself my wife is proud like we're we're really we're green we're doing it um i start smelling smoke and i look at the wire running from the pump and it's going like a fuse straight to the firewall of the car and without even having the presence of mind to like flip the switch off and turn the pump off, I just run up to the firewall, open, like, open the door, reach under the dash, grab the wire that's just like fusing across my hand, burn my hand, rip the wire out of the car, and I'm like, okay, minimal damage, nothing. <laughs> I'm like looking at my burn, melted through a few bags. It's okay. So I learned about fuses at that moment. Um, I, I narrowly avoid an electrical fire that probably would have stopped the whole trip. And we're on the road. I still haven't switched over to vegetable oil. So we're cruising down the, the, the highway, like always below the speed limit because we're in this like windsock of gear on this little <laughs> golf cart of a car. And I flip the switch and the car kind of hesitates and it chugs a little bit and then it works. And knowing what I know about cars in general or diesels now, it's a minor miracle that this happened. But <laughs> We're running on vegetable oil. We're high-fiving, we're going. And we're like, okay, now we just have to drive all the way there. So we make it all the way across Kansas into Colorado. We go to a town that's super familiar, Slide of Colorado. And the car like catastrophic, catastrophically breaks down. And we're like camping in a friend's backyard. Two and a half weeks we were stranded in Colorado. In the course of that time, my marriage fell apart. So, you know, I did the logical thing. 
I brought my wife back to the Denver airport and I kept going. <laughs> so here I'm going, I'm cruising along and there are so many stories within a story here and this is where I'm like, I'm fully in the rabbit hole. Like I'm just in having a mental odyssey at this point. Um, I'm cruising down the road you know, and I, I learned that I have to have kind of this symbiotic relationship with not only like the restaurateurs and this other whole element where I'm like driving this car that I can't abandon because like I can't even go to a hotel because there's no way to secure all this crap. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sleeping in a Volkswagen Golf that smells like trash and old egg rolls. <laughs> and I'm just, I just keep going, right? Like, so many minor catastrophes happen. And it's like, like, I have to be in kind of an urban area to, to get the oil, but I also hate urban areas, like, in general, but also because of my situation. And so, <laughs> I have to kind of make peace with that. And usually it's cool, I camp, like, somewhere kind of remote do my little weird oil filtration thing and it's okay. But sometimes I'm like stuck in a town and I'm so stubborn that I refuse to buy diesel. So I just keep doing it. And I'm like, I remember like sleeping in a town, like cruising high school kids harassing me, like weird rural towns. But I'm like, I'm developing like an intimate relationship with towns that I've been to or been through a hundred times, you know? That might be an exaggeration. A lot of times, like there's a lot of towns between there and Alaska. Um, I made it, and kind of like the 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 significance of the story beyond just being ridiculous and fully being like this committed rabbit hole that I maybe still am in is that <laughs> I. It's really that trip is kind of why I ended up in Idaho. So that was like the first time I really spent some time in Idaho. And then like a few years later, because of the whole veggie oil thing, I ended up coming back here. Well, I was here in a different vehicle, like a better mousetrap. I had a lot of time to think <laughs> while I'm driving, like how to make this actually work and not just this ridiculous endeavor that destroys relationships and <laughs> alienates friends and family. And so <laughs> I, I keep on down the road, right? But at some point, I think a few years later, I was here in town, a guy flagged me down just because he could tell I was running waste vegetable oil in my car. Um, I didn't really know anyone in Boise, and that guy, uh, late great Kiff Brown, if anybody knows him, ended up being one of my best friends. He talked me into moving here. We started a biofuels company together that I, you know, I have nothing to do with now, but, um, and, and you know, but this is still kind of a part of my life. Like I, I still do it, although it's not, <laughs> it's not this like central focus of my life. Like it's like a back burner element. Um, I have other rabbit holes to manage, like a surf shop in town here. But anyway, thank you. Please everybody put your hands together for wind.
Please welcome to the stage, Megan O'Rourke. I am a mega nerd. I have a full-time job as a copywriter, but I also have a master's degree in communication studies. And for the last 15 years, I've taught as an adjunct professor on the side. So having spent so much of my adult life in academia, my default mode when I encounter a problem is to find a solution. And on top of that, I'm extremely reasonable and rational. And um, I have the type of self-esteem that makes men like Ross Perot run for president. Um, <laughs> but about two years ago, I got divorced. And last spring, I decided that I was ready to get back into the dating game and give love another shot. So I did what any good single would do. I joined a bunch of dating sites. I went on a few awkward dates. And I went out with any guy that my friends would throw my way. So even though I have big self-esteem and I am very rational, I've always had a hard time dating. I've had a hard time finding people that I click with. And I also have a really hard time taking things personally. So when things weren't working out, you know, I went on a series of bad dates and after several months of kind of dwindling matches and things just weren't happening, my academic training kicked in and I was really inclined to figure out why this wasn't working out. <laughs> so I always retreat back to numbers and I retreat back to facts and research when I'm uncomfortable with something. And so one weekend I had the opportunity when my kids were with their dad to investigate this matter a little bit further. So um, I'm a drunk Googler. And um, if you've done that before, like, you know, I, I'll type in a term and I'll Google it. And usually it's something that I've never even thought of that will come back. But for some reason on this night, I was drunk Googling things like, why am I still single? Or why are there no good single guys? Or some other drunken derivative. And I was really surprised when I found um, something almost straight away. And what it was was the summary of a book called Why Men Marry Some Women and Not Others. Colon, the fascinating research that can land you the husband of your dreams. <laughs> and it was by a guy named John T. Malloy. So I'm not even sure that I want to get married again or if I want a serious relationship again, but I'm big into efficiency, um, so I read on. So the interesting thing about Malloy is that he is not a social scientist, he is not a psychiatrist, he's not even an advice columnist. Malloy is a marketer, and as a marketer, he is concerned with why people do what they do. So to solve the question of why men marry some women and not others, he stood out in front of the county clerk's office and he interviewed couples that were getting marriage licenses. So he had three very interesting observations. The first observation was that short, Overweight men with awkward personalities make excellent husbands. They're, they're used to being treated really poorly or totally overlooked by women, so if you're nice to them, it's pretty much a sure thing. The second interesting finding was that while conventional wisdom says that opposites attract, Malloy found that men and women of similar backgrounds marry. And the third, and to me, most interesting thing was something that Malloy called the age of commitment. So he found that there's this very clearly defined window when men will even consider dating. And there's a lot of factors that are involved, but it basically boils down to the fact that men will not commit until they have completed their education, gotten a real job, gotten a nicer car, maybe traveled a little bit and played the field. And then they start to feel that they're aging out of the single scene. And so they're starting to consider being willing to settle down. And for most men who complete college, that age is 26. But for men with advanced degrees, um, it's about 28 or, 20, or 28 or 30 if they have like a, a, a doctor or a lawyer. 
So then he found that like between 33 and 34, the chances that a man will commit start to decline, but only slightly. And at 38, it drops dramatically. And by the time that a man reaches like 33 to 34, or 44, 43 to 44 years old, the chances that he'll ever commit completely dry up because he's basically viewed marriage as a bad bet. And also at that time, they start to think that they're too old to do the things that guys are supposed to do with their kids, like teach them to ride a bike or to play catch. Um, so, <clears throat> spoiler alert, I'm going to be 37 next month. So, that means that I am bumping up to that cliff at the tail edge of the age of commitment. But it got me to thinking that maybe I wasn't having any luck online because he's just not there. Not like online, but there, period. But this was kind of a calming thought. And I also started to think, like, I've always known what I want and what I don't. And it would be easier to um, quantify how many people in the valley that there were to date that met my criteria than it would be to actually find a date. <laughs> and with my academic training, I knew that there was reliable sources I could find on the interwebs, like the CDC and the Census Bureau and the Pew Research Center, so I could really validate my research. So I poured another glass of wine and I began my online research. So for starters, we live in a valley of 709,845 people. I'm straight, so I'm looking for a man. 49.21% of the population. Um, pretty much goes without saying that I would like him to be straight, so 97.8% of the population. Those two criteria reduced my potential dating pool to 341,630 people. I'm not into being a side piece, so he has to be single. And I found that data from the US Census Bureau. And they break down their information by age, income, and sex. So by this point down the rabbit hole, I needed to make some choices. So with Malloy as my guide, opposites attract, but people of similar backgrounds marry. I chose to look at men who were making uh, between seventy-five dollars and $99,000 a year, who were 35 to 39 years old. And I'm really not that picky, so I combined all the single classifications together. So that's like widowed, divorced, or never married. And it was 23.3% of the population. I'm tall, so he has to be at least six feet tall. 21.5% of the population. By now, my potential dating pool was winnowed down to 17,631 people. I'm into health and wellness, so he has to be a non-smoker. 84.2%. And while I have two small children, I'm not interested in the drama that goes along with uh, blended families, so he has to be childless. 25.2% of the population. By now, my dating pool had dwindled to 3,614 people. As for Malloy's socioeconomic mix, I'm spiritual but not religious, 27%. 980 people. I have a master's degree, 9.51%. 93 people. And the final filter is that I am a Democrat. In a red state. 26% of the population. So when I combined those factors, male, straight, single, tall, 35 to 39 years old, non-smoker, no kids, spiritual but not religious, at least a master's degree, and a Democrat. 
it was 0.0034% of the population. If you've been drinking and you can't do math, that's 24 people. So within a matter of hours, I had reduced my dating pool from 709,845 people to 24. That's roughly one in 30,000 odds. As a point of comparison, your chance of getting murdered by a terrorist are one in 48,000 people. That means I am slightly more likely to find a date than I am to lose my life in the hands of ISIS. But the funny thing was, the smaller that that number got, the better that I felt because I knew it wasn't a Megan problem, it was a supply and demand problem. <laughs> and also, the more realistic that I got about that number, the easier it got to stop chasing that white rabbit and just start living my life. So I know that I could increase my chances if I were to relax my already stringent criteria a little bit, but I always know that there's going to be a short, overweight guy with a bad personality out there for me. <laughs> and if I were to find a guy in my very shallow dating pool, statistics show that I would be very lucky indeed. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Down the Rabbit Hole show sponsor, Idaho Candle Company. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from Wend. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night. You can submit to be a featured storyteller by writing story at storystorynight.org.